The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for October 30th, uh, 2017. Alex, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Rob? Doing good. I, I was out in London this last week, as you know. Uh, the the jet lag is kind of over me now. I'm, I'm, I'm back to normal, I think. I'm ready to go to work this week. I was thinking about starting to talk to you with a, a British accent, but my British accent is so bad that you know people would have thought I was yeah. Australian or something like that. Well, you, d- you drove on the left side of the road on the way over here. Yeah, so. exactly. So that's and good I enough. still made it. All right. Let's ju- why don't we go ahead and jump into the news? Before we do, just a reminder: once you sign up for our news, or our mailing list, excuse me, sign up for our mailing list if you're uh, if you haven't already. You can get the show notes delivered into your inbox every Sunday when we release the show, and and you'll get to see what we're going to talk about before we talk about it. Nice. The uh, first story we have today: um, iFly, which is the uh, indoor skydiving uh, place in uh, Park Meadows, mm-hmm. um, they ha- now have a STEM program. Uh, for K through 12 kids, so you can go and skydive and learn about science. It's a pretty cool way to learn about science, right? Physics and uh, math and all the stuff you need in order to fly. Aerodynamics. Yeah, pretty cool. So they do a program with lots of local schools, and they've been bringing uh, a lot of different folks through there. I think they said thousands of, of kids over the last few years, uh, getting them the free the free diving and, and kind of a little lesson to go along with it. Yeah, good to see that that's expanding. Um, STEM education, I think we all know, is important. And they specifically mentioned that they're targeting women and girls to try and you know help get more women in, involved with, with STEM. So absolutely good stuff. Next story this week, uh, it's actually a couple different articles that have been written about this this week. SendGrid, which is a, a local technology company that offers email as a service on the web, uh, is going to go IPO, it looks like, by the end of this year. Yeah, I think that's pretty exciting. Um, it, they noted in there that um, you know SendGrid, who came through TechStars, um, is going to be one of the first to uh, to IPO from that program. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's big news for the the tech community here and for the startup community. Um, I think as we've discussed in the past, you know, to to keep that uh, ecosystem going, you need to have these companies that eventually exit and and the people can take their money and and go do new companies. Right. So so this is only the second software company and. In- the Denver area who will IPO since the dot-com boom. So really, uh, it's been a long time without a lot. Rally Software was the other one who IPO'd in 2013, ended up getting sold to CA in 2015. Uh, so this would be big news and certainly, you know, good luck to, to those guys and, and Dave Campbell, the CISO over there. Uh, hopefully this goes really well and you guys are, uh, are really happy with it. Uh, next, uh, not as happy a story. Uh, First Data announced that they are cutting 200 jobs at their Greenwich Village office. Yeah, this is this is a big bummer. Uh, First Data is one of the big payment companies in the nation, really in the world. Uh, they Denver had been their headquarters from 2001 to 2009. Headquarters moved to Atlanta, and as of 2009, they had about about 1,500 employees here in Colorado. And I think with this 100 people who are leaving, they're going to be down to very few left here, you know, less than 100, I believe. In, yeah, in I think they're essentially not going to have a presence in Denver any longer, which is too bad. Yeah, it is too bad. Uh, certainly a lot of good folks have, have worked through there over the years. And hopefully uh, hopefully those folks, anyone who loses a job will quickly find another one. I guess the good news is uh, there's a lot of tech jobs in the area and any of those technologists should have an easy time landing somewhere softly. Very true. Uh, so also, uh, the CISO of the year finalists were announced for yeah. the, the CTA Apex Awards. Yeah, so that's great. Uh, we can finally talk about who those people are. 
The uh, CISO of the Year will be given out at the Apex Awards on the 8th, Wednesday the 8th. If you haven't got your tickets yet, it's not too late. There's a link in the show notes. But uh, it's actually three of the friends of the show who who are finalists. Um, Sam Massiello, who was the CISO at Teletech and was nominated for his work at Teletech. Sam is, of course, now over at Gates Corp. Uh, Go ahead. He was so good. That he was able to get a you know an even better job at Gates, right? So, <laughs> yeah, that's why you become a finalist. So Sam was one of our early interviews on the show. Uh, John Everson, uh, the CISO for for Dish Networks and Sling, uh, he's one of the finalists, and and John was also an interview on the show. And then the third finalist is Matt Schufeld. Matt is the CISO of Cognizant Health. You formerly known as Trizetto here in Denver. Uh, and Matt's actually our feature interview next week on the show. So uh, really three great guys looking forward to hearing, you know, who ends up winning. Uh, so we'll, we'll definitely cover that news right after the award ceremony, but make it to the show if you can. Yeah, it'll be great. I think both of us will be there. Yep. Uh, so next, uh, there was a story in the Denver Post uh, by Tamara Chung uh, about using two-factor authentication when you don't have access to a smartphone app or, or other things yeah. like that. This is It's just neat to see this get really kind of in the mainstream Tamara, who writes for Denver post about technology really makes it approachable for non-technical people to understand how do you do multi-factor. And the question that prompts her article is, Hey, I think two factor is a good idea, but I don't always have my computer and my phone with me. Is there some way, some way I can do this without having to have two devices? So she goes into it in detail. And I think this is a good read for anyone out here who, who might need to explain to your, your mother or you know, one of your friends how to do these kind of things and, and maybe use this as a resource going forward. I think it also highlights the fact that two, while two-factor authentication is awesome, that everybody should be using it, um, there is still some barrier of entry to using it on the users. So yeah. you, know, you do have to have some other way to, to verify your identity. And that is going to be a hurdle that some people don't necessarily want to go over. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, next uh, next interview, excuse me, next story is an interview with Andre Durand, the CEO and founder of Ping, where he, it's a, so the link goes to a story that has a video embedded with the whole interview, uh, really talking about what is the future of identity. I just pulled out two key points from the article here. Um, Andre's contention is that mobile phones will become the ultimate identific- identification device for everyone. You know, this is assumption that people are going to be carrying their phone and the phone can tell you where you know, where Rob is, is Rob awake, is Rob asleep, all kinds of information about Rob that, that helps you going forward to identify, is this really him making a request? You know, you know I think that that's, um, it's great insight. It reminds me a little bit of the, the keynote that he gave at uh, Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference this year. Yeah. Um, but also, I don't think he's looking far enough into the future to when we're going to have those, you know, chips implanted in our brains, so we don't even have to carry our phones with us. Yeah, it's not that it's not that far off, is it? Uh, then the second thing he mentions is just the identity management systems are going to become a lot more fluid and adaptive. So it's not a binary. Yes, this is Alex. Let him in to everything Alex knows, or no, we're not sure this is Alex. It's hey, we're pretty sure this is Alex. So we'll give him the most stuff, but we're not sure enough that we're going to give him the most sensitive information. And kind of operating on a spectrum of risk versus access and risk versus monitoring uh, is where the future of identity is going. And I think something that we're not that far off from. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, so next, uh, Logarithm had a blog this week uh, entitled Using Honey Credentials to Make Pivoting Detectable. So this was talking about using uh, what they're calling honey credentials. So essentially fake uh, login credentials, uh, password hashes, that kind of stuff that you can um, inject into memory and you know inject other places in your network so that when an attacker potentially finds them and tries to use them, you're going to start seeing alarms and can uh, detect that possible pivoting throughout your environment. I, I, I like to 
think of it as just putting tripwires everywhere in the yep. environment. I think that this is a super low tech, super low cost, highly effective way of knowing have you been owned, right? Putting these types of tripwires throughout your environment. It's not going to stop someone from breaking in. It's not going to stop someone from getting access to your systems, but it does stop them from hanging out in your systems for six months before you find out that they're there and before you can react to it. Exactly. Faster detection meets, uh, means lower uh, impact from breaches. Yep. Uh, next story, Optive Security has released a new service around the GDPR, which is the European Union's general data protection uh, requirements, regulation, requirements, regulation, regulation, uh, <laughs> GDPR. It's so, an R. It's an R. So uh, this is really an offering they have around walking companies through compliance with GDPR, helping make sure you're, you're hitting all of the boxes you need to. Um, it's nice to see a local company kind of helping get that offering out there, hopefully in time, you know, it's, it, if you haven't started yet, you need to get start, started right away, but it looks like Optif can help you through that process if you need to. I like the fact that they were very regimented about it too. It wasn't just, oh yeah, yeah, we know GDPR and you know, we can help you do that stuff. They lay out everything that they can do and the, the, all the steps and everything. I yeah. thought that was really cool. Uh, and then finally, um, our own Rob Reck is going to be on Nine News on uh, Monday morning. Yeah, I get to talk to Gary Shapiro, who's the the main anchor for the the Nine News morning show, uh, talking about cybersecurity. It's kind of the end of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and that's that's what the topic is. And I will do my best to at least mention Colorado Equal Security on there. And of course, we'll get the the link to that once it's posted on the web and we'll put it in next week's show notes. So is this going to be live on 9 News, Rob, if people want to watch? I think it's supposed to be live, yeah. Um, 8.50 a.m., uh, we think probably Channel 20, which does their uh, 9 News at, at 8 o'clock. Yeah, because I, I believe it at that time um, on Channel 9 is the Today Show and yeah, you know that would be pretty cool for you to be on the Today Show, but I don't think you're going to be on the Today Show. They've made it very clear to me that I... I could be preempted for, for real news. <laughs> uh, and if you guys saw the news, uh, the Mueller investigation says there's... They Mueller? Have, Mueller? They, have, they now have some uh, arrest warrants. So there might be real news tomorrow morning. So who, who knows, right? All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump over to uh, trivia. So this week, we, we did have a successful answer to our trivia question. Yay. Uh, and we did not ask the winner if we could give his name out. So I will not give out your name, sir, but congratulations. And thank you to Andre Durant, or excuse me, Andre Gaeta. Once again, Andre has personally sponsored our trivia contest and is, has purchased a lovely shirt for our winner. So don't bury the lead though, Rob. We got to tell people what the actual answer was, right? Well, we got to tell them what the question was first, right? Uh, so what was the name of the role or job that was created to protect gold and other valuables in Colorado and other railroads when the U.S. Marshals forces were insufficient in the 1800s? So the answer was the Pinkertons. The Pinkertons, who I, I, that's where I remember hearing from some Old West movies. Yep. People kind of speaking of the Pinkertons, a little bit afraid of them, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, private security force. Good stuff. All so, right, go ahead. So this week's uh, trivia question Um we are going to go with our, you know, our other sort. So we're talking about stuff on the podcast. So um, you'll have to go back and make sure that you've listened to some of our previous podcasts. Uh, name two of the podcast guest hosts. So yeah. as you know, uh, from time to time, I am not here or Rob is not here and we invite guest hosts in. So uh, if you can name two of those, then you will be our trivia winner for this week. Should we tell them how many there are total? Just leave it at that. No, no, you just got to get two. Yeah. All right. All right. Good enough. 
Uh, let's go ahead and go over to events. As a reminder, we do have a calendar of events on the website. You can go see what's going on next week, next month, all the way out into January at this point. Uh, the, there's not a ton of events the next two weeks, but there are a ton of big events. The, the events that we do have are, are, are quite impressive. Uh, so first, uh, the first and second is uh, Secure World Denver. Um, I will be teaching a class there. Um, Rob also will be there uh, kicking off the, the conference. I get to inter- introduce uh, Dr. Ponemon, Larry Ponemon, who's going to be doing the opening keynote. And uh, hopefully if you guys are there, come say hi and uh, ask us for a, a Colorado Equal Security sticker or something like that. And we'll be happy to hook you up. And there are also, as we mentioned last week or potentially the week before, there are a whole lot of local folks that are speaking at Secure right. World. It was last week, yeah. Uh, NCC has their... Governor's Cyber Symposium this week. That's the first through the third. Uh, we, last week we talked about it. If you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late. A lot of big names going to be there, including General Petraeus, the, uh, the governor himself, and a lot of interesting folks. Uh, on the 6th, uh, Densec is having their South Meetup. And once again, make sure you follow them on Twitter to find out exactly where they're going to be, what table at what restaurant. Go, go talk to some interesting security folks. On the 7th, SecureSet has their Hacking 101 workshop on AppSec. Uh, on the 8th, uh, Cloud Security Alliance is doing a CCSK training. And this is the day before their their fall summit, um, but it's not it, it, it's a four-pay training that kind of goes along with that, right? Is Muhammad doing that training? Yeah, Muhammad's doing it. You got it. Awesome. Uh, also on the 8th, we talked about this earlier, the CTA is doing the Apex Awards. Come see who was who the CISO of the year and come say hi to Alex and I there. On the 9th, ISSA Denver is doing a GDPR training. And we have uh, Pete Lindstrom coming in to do that, right? Yep. IDG analyst is going to be in town. Uh, so really a strong, strong guy. Pete is fantastic and going to be doing some really good training. Looking forward to that. Uh, on the 9th is the uh, the CSA Colorado Fall Summit. This is the CSA's big annual conference. It's up in Broomfield or Westminster, up really far north somewhere up there. <laughs> um, so The great it, white north. It looks like a really good, some really good content, though. Hopefully you guys can make it. And I think that is all we have for uh, events this week. Jump so into jobs. Move to jobs. Uh, first, uh, GE is looking for an IT cybersecurity engineer. Pearson, the education company, is hiring a cloud security engineer focused on identity and access. Fast Enterprises is looking for an information security analyst. Progressive AS is hiring a senior information security auditor. I'm guessing AS is auto insurance. It's not. Auto? So no. I actually looked it up. It looks like it's a staffing company or a, a oh, staff, og, not, staff okay. og company. It's not Got progressive it. insurance. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Cigna is looking for a cyber threat responder and malware analyst. That one looks like fun. Yeah. Uh, CHI is hiring a cybersecurity engineer three, which is, as you would expect, three times as good as a normal cybersecurity engineer. Uh, Splunk is looking for a professional services security consultant. So if you know Splunk and want to help other people with their Splunk instances. And uh, the last one, my favorite, the FBI is hiring for special agents right now. And of course, a special agent at this point gets to do a lot of cybersecurity work. And that's really one of the key skill sets they're looking for. Another key skill set is you have to be able to, to run really quickly, do lots of push-ups, and be willing and to shoot their, people, pass their physical security, and of course, be willing to shoot people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that is it. Uh, end of the newscast we have for our feature interview this week, uh, Fred Knipe, the CEO and founder of CyberGRX. We've Very talked fun. about them on the show for the last nine months. Uh, one of the big up-and-comers in, in Denver, the, a gazelle as named by the CTA recently. So get to hear a little bit about how it came to be and, and where they're planning to go. Awesome. Should be a good interview. 
All right. Well, Alex, have a good one. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Chris Martinez, CISO at Digital Globe. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, buy Colorado security professionals. This is Rob Breck, and I am today sitting in the, the new headquarters for CyberGRX in downtown Denver. And I'm sitting with the uh, CEO and founder, uh, Fred, is it Knipe? Nine. Fred, um, uh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for uh, taking some time out this afternoon to talk. And I'm going to start with the first question of the day. What would you say is the most important lesson that your father taught you? Most important lesson my father taught me? Um, that's interesting. Uh, I think it's, it's an interesting, applicable in many ways in life. It was uh, know what you don't know. Hmm. And it was a recognized that you can be really good at some things, yeah. but you can't be great at everything and appreciate that and find those who do. That's awesome. It's also similar to, to Rumsfeld, right? The known, yeah, known, known, known. Yeah. Yeah, no one I don't think could ever actually say it the way Rumsfeld did, but yes. Yeah, uh, that's pretty great. Well, uh, so I don't, were you, you probably weren't there for the keynote at RMISC. Cal Fussman kicked us off this year and in his, he's a, a interviewer for Esquire magazine. And his, his point to us was like, start t- conversations by getting a little bit more personal and intimate. And, and it kind of changes the whole, the whole texture of the conversation. So that's, that's my secret for why I just asked you that question. All right. Um, so, so you are doing some really cool stuff here at CyberGRX. I'd like to, to go further back though and, and understand what's your background? Um, how, did you, how did you first get into security? I, I know you actually ran security programs for a while, but let's go back even further. And how did you get into technology and, and how did you end up doing what you've been doing? Sure, it's actually a, it's a pretty unorthodox path to getting to a, a cybersecurity company. I um, my background is actually mostly in kind of finance and investing. Yeah. Um, so I worked at a, a, a few um, private equity funds back in the kind of two thousands range. Um, realized that I was being charged with running companies and <laughs> didn't know what I was doing. So I went back to business school. Uh, ended up spending seven years at McKinsey after that, helping large multinational companies with growth strategy, acquisition strategy, and such. Yeah. And was pulled over to a unique uh, hedge fund called Bridgewater Associates. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bridgewater approach was take subject matter experts and pair them with um, quality managers. And synthetically, that's what you need to run different areas. So I was the manager counterpart to a... Um, a, uh, a SEC prosecutor, and the two of us ran the compliance department at Bridgewater. And so that was my introduction into just the, um, the, the this, this whole realm. Um, I did that for about a year, and then I was charged with running the security department uh, for about two and a half years after that, where I had a CISO, a head of staff security, head of physical security, all with deep content knowledge. One was the former CISO at, uh, I think, UBS. Um, the other was the former head of counterterrorism for the FBI, was our head of staff security. And so it, it was, you know, highly qualified individuals. My job was synthesizing across all that content to a cohesive strategy in which we do to build this thing out. That's a pretty big change though, right? Mergers and acquisitions to, to really running the security. For, how, how do you make that kind of a transition? It's, it's more kind of logical breakdown of the problem and, and then communication around that. Okay, what, what are the things that are driving this? What's the issue we're actually facing? How do you articulate that? And then what's the fact base that's influencing that on the path forward? And, you know, you can apply that universally. That's kind of the McKinsey model is you get smart people who get just thrown into wherever. And you have generalists there, you know, a healthcare study, and then you move to a, you know, automotive and then to a finance company. And so it's it just the same kind of problem solving breakdown. So that's what I was doing at, okay. at Bridgewater. So, so you were at Bridgewater for how long? Uh, four years. All right. 
and something something exciting happened near, near the end, I assume. I, you know, no, it was actually, um, uh, interestingly, I was one of the more tenured people there, even yeah. though it was 1,500 people at four years. The turnover is pretty great. It's yeah. a unique place. And Ray Dalio, the founder, just came out with a book about his principles, which I mm-hmm. think is getting a lot of yeah, press. We, he was on the Tim Ferriss show, I think. If yeah. folks haven't ever heard him, that interview with Tim Ferriss is really amazing. Yeah. And it, the, the total transparency is really the, the message, right? Which I which I believe that's what drew me in. Um, yeah. And the, the, you know, the, the core tenants of Bridgewater that, that Ray has really pushed are, you know, radical truth, radical transparency, which was basically, you know, in terms of communication, don't hold back and don't allow it to be colored with, you know, trying to cushion the blow, hmm. uh, give it to people straight and that's how you'll help them grow. It can be difficult, it can be painful, but that's, you know, if you think about, if you play sports, you know, if you had a batting coach, you know, they don't come over and say, hey, nice swing, let's try another one. They're like, okay, spread your legs further, keep your eye on the ball, et cetera. And it's the same kind of thing with business. It's okay, Fred, you know, that presentation didn't resonate at all. Here's why, you didn't do this, this, and this. And then it's a, a little bit deeper of why, why didn't you do that? Did you not think you needed to? Did you not know it, et cetera? So it forces yeah. you to really think about your strengths and weaknesses, which, is, uh, which was really helpful for me. Um, but as my uh, former colleague there just said, it was like, I'm glad I went, I'm glad I left. <laughs> so it's a, it, was, it was a time for me to go. Um, and when I was thinking about uh, leaving, I got connected to um, uh, Jay Leak, who was at the time the CISO at Blackstone. And uh, he and I were just talking about potential business opportunities. I was looking to start a business. I was excited mm-hmm. to just go and do something and, and build something meaningful for me. Uh, and he had mentioned the idea of this third-party risk concept and how that was a real problem for Blackstone and its portfolio. Uh, and we kind of sketched out, here's what this could look like. So I wish I could take credit for the idea. It's really Jay's. Yeah. Uh, but we kind of built that out together. So I, before we move all the way on, sure. I, I just want to ask about the radical transparency. Do you, was it good or bad or both? Both. And, and how much of that have you taken with you? Yeah, it's a great question. It's... Um, it's it's a fantastic concept and, and it really brought me in and, and the people who I worked closely with believed uh, honestly in it. And um, the problem is for it to truly work, you need to eliminate call it the, the humanity in people and the kind of the, the emotional element. If I can operate with pure um, direct logical interaction with you, then it works with the, the Bridgewater approach works perfectly. But you know, people have, wants, desires, ego, emotion, and you have to account for it. And that's mm-hmm. why I don't believe it fully works there. Yeah. The other element that is, um, is interesting is it's, um, it can be used to kind of influence arguments. And, and, and so it's a, um, for those who have a better grasp of the way it operates. And so it's, um, you know, it was harder and I kind of lost my, my faith in that over time. I've pulled a lot of um, the, the foundational components into the culture we've built here at CyberGRX. But it's um, with a recognition that y- you can't be all the way to the extreme. You yeah. have to recognize some level of the, the, the human. But at the same time, if we haven't built cultural norms around that radical transparency, radical truth, then if I just am radically honest with you, yeah. it's going to be perceived very negatively, right? It's, it's going to really hurt feelings yeah. if we haven't set expectations that that's normal. So do you mind just talking about a little bit of how you, how you think about that? Well, sure. I mean, so... As we, you know, build from the first employee here, it's a very open, direct interview process of this is how we want to operate and be ready for that and that we, th- we think that's going to be right and we expect you to both take it and also to give it. Like you need to engage and you can't just hold back. And if, you know, I have employees coming in here telling me, Fred, that was the dumbest thing I saw in a long time. And I'm like, you know what? Great. I'm glad you told me that. 
um, because I need to hear that. And it's, you know, I make mistakes left and right. And if people aren't comfortable saying that, that doesn't, you know, then we'll go off on the wrong path. Right. And just like the same, if I see that, if I see things, I'm going to raise it. The, um, the right way to do it though is, uh, it's my, my, one of my favorite quotes is uh, St. Francis of Assisi, which is to try to understand versus be understood, mm-hmm. which is okay. If someone feels that way, someone sees something differently, why? Where's their, what's their logic? Where's their reasoning? Do they see something that you don't see? And either you're going to help educate them or they're going to help educate you. And so that's, that's our culture here. Yeah. Um, it's not for everyone. And it's, um, you know, if you're looking for that kind of, you know, simple, you know, everything's happy, go lucky. Place, that's, that's not yeah. the right thing here. But we believe that interaction is the right way to have, uh, to really help build, yeah. you know, I think, a stellar product. That's great. And so you just quoted the, I think it's called the prayer of St. Francis. Uh, I'm not Catholic, but it's, uh, it's really cool. And, and those listening might want to look it up. I, I think it's one of the cooler, like, uh, way, I think it's one th- way to look at how to go about life, right? Not to, to spend more time trying to think about how to understand and how to, how to, how to help other people versus trying to get helped. Right. So, it's, it's funny. Cool. I, I <clears throat> was at a talk with Pete Coors last night. And one of the things he said is, you know, God gave us Two ears and one mouth, and you know you should use them in that proportion. Yeah. It's, it's a similar, yeah. uh, you know, uh, along the same lines. That's great. They, they, uh, just stepping back and thinking about it. We spend so much of our time trying to convince. It's interesting, even to read it in kind of sales things. It's like, oh, don't go in there trying to pitch your product. You have to understand the problem. You have to understand. Mm-hmm. Same thing here is okay. Don't try and convince people of of what you see. Understand why they see something differently, and is there a nugget in there that you might have missed otherwise? Yeah. Well, let's let's go ahead and, and go forward. You, you you met with Jay. Jay Lee from Blackstone, you started talking about what this idea mm-hmm. could be, and, and then what happened? Yeah, so it's, um, I mean, the simple idea for, for uh, CyberGerx is, is third-party risk management. Basically, um, how do you efficiently uh, assess or understand the risks that exist outside of your boundaries of your company? So the best example I can give you is, you know, Apple designs the iPhone, and they have very good security. They've protected um, their walls pretty well. They have all the right stuff internally, but they take those you know highly classified plans and they send them over to Foxconn for them to build the phone. So how do they know Foxconn has the same protections in place versus a hacker saying, okay, I'm not going after Apple. That's protected, but I can go pick it up here or in transit or whatever. Yeah. And so how do you elaborate that? And so people's um, environments today, you know, they outsource HR, they outsource legal, they outsource manufacturing, yeah, and, and uh, or you know, um, you know, Salesforce kind of type thing. Yeah. And so, how do you keep your head around that ecosystem? Um, what happens today is just convoluted in the waste. Um, the the specific example for Blackstone. So Jay had um, responsibilities as the CISO at Blackstone. He was charged with securing Blackstone, but then also helping build the security programs across their 120 portfolio companies. And that meant either placing a CISO or helping them you know, build out the program, identifying areas of focus. One thing that keep, uh, kept coming up was third party. Like, we don't have much of a program, we're not doing much, we're concerned about it, et cetera. He did a quick poll and found that of their uh, companies, 90 of them were using the same, you know, I'll say business process outsourcing company. Mm-hmm. And uh, of those 90, uh, 50 of them were sending people on site to do a validated assessment of that control set mm-hmm. every year. Like, okay, that's a colossal waste of time and energy. Yeah. Why do that? He said, oh, why don't I do that once at Blackstone? Do one high-quality assessment of the program and then share it across not just the 50 but all 90. And so now they've all got access to that. Uh, he reached out to the CISO at that company and basically said, hey, we're thinking about coming really in-depth once a year versus 50 visits. And they're like, that sounds fine. And, uh, and that, that was the origin yeah. of this concept. Yeah. Um, and so that's our, our whole um, model is we're, we'll go in, we'll do a high-quality assessment of a company. 
well, how is that data centrally and allow it to be used multiple times? And then that access is available as they update that assessment. So it's kind of a real time um, you can watch versus a once a year, once every two years, once every three years. It's I have live access to fresh, uh, up to date information on yeah. what their program looks like. The um, so you know we're not the first people to think of something like this. Um, you know there are you know uh, processes. I think Bits came out with them. Like shared assessments is known out there. Uh, the SIG, which you know I'm sure most people you probably listening to this podcast have, have come across at some point in their life. Um, <clears throat> Moody's tried to do something here. S and P tried to do something here. So th- there was a, a long list of um, you know, uh, I guess efforts in this front. And um, so we went and actually to- spoke to most people who were involved in each of these people, the kind of the founding team and had shared assessments or people who helped build some of the, the products in healthcare that are there working in this front, et cetera. And said, okay, where did you struggle? Why, why aren't these taking off? What's, what's the, uh, and learn from that. Um, it's, a, it's a long conversation, but kind of a variety of key things. Uh, a lot of which was the, a lot of the burden and pain was put on the third party or the vendor. It was like, you're charged with paying for um, a, a certification of some kind, et cetera. And then people come and say, that's great. Now do my questionnaire as right. well. And it's like, what am I, you know, it's, it's painful. Yeah. Um, so you're going to do a SOC 2 or you're going to do an ISO 27001 correct. certification. And that's going to get a small percentage of what this big bank asked. Correct. Right. And so why did I just spend $50,000 to get this uh, certification? And these guys are still asking for this, even though they're telling me I need to be certified there as well. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> and, and, and a variety of other factors. So what we ended up um, doing is saying, instead of um, the approaches that have been taken before, the other, you know, the, the, the SIG was really um, derived from, you know, a bunch of banks got together and said, okay, put all of our questionnaires together, we aggregate them. And by definition, if you answer all these questions, you've now answered all of our questionnaires. But that was this huge, unwieldy mess. It gets about 1,500 questions. Yeah, and then it, it's been culled massively. The first one was over 3,600, I believe. Um, and so it was huge. And so, you know, that's, it struggled and, and, and it's not uh, in, the, in the flow that would make sense. Um, so what we um, we did is said, okay, let's, let's take some, you know, a few well-regarded uh, risk practitioners and let's build an assessment based on how they think about risk. And so what Jay and I did is we built a team of, uh, we call them design partners. And these were people that were kind of leaders in their field, forward-thinking, building the most mature programs out there, and, um, and wanted to walk through with them and say, hey, guys, how do we collaboratively build the right answer to this? And so the ask of them was, <clears throat> you know, you need to have... Obviously, the funds to, to build some uh, program in that front, you have to be mature, forward-thinking, and then you need to be willing to kind of collaborate versus a lot of people say, great, I'm happy to do this as long as it's my assessment. Mm-hmm. You had to be able to put that aside. And so we brought people like Jim Ralph at Aetna and Roland Claudier at ADP, um, Paul Wood at Bloomberg, obviously um, Jay or Shri Ramraj at, at, at Mass Mutual, and we went through and spent you know weeks upon weeks at each of their locations said, walk me through your program. How do you think about risk? How do you, you know, collect information? How do you score it? How do you evaluate it? How do you track it over time? How do you report on it, et cetera? Um, we then mapped that to kind of a, a, a standard framework that was derived from our, uh, our head of products, Pat Gorman, who was the CISO at Bank of America. And so, and we mapped that to much more to how a um, organization is structured. So it's a you know, um, it's close to NIST, but it's 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 more okay. This is how he built his organization at B of A. We then tested that with our design partners. Like, oh, this is much more aligned. What that led us to is ability to delegate out portions very easily. Versus, oh, there's a question here, a question there, a question there. Um, 
And so we built this out. We sat down with each of our design partners. Then we brought them together and said, four of you won't go this way. Two of you go this way. Um, we're going to put this thing in the middle. So instead of 27 questions across all this, we're going to ask these three. Do we all agree that that gets to the meat of what we're trying to do? And they didn't. And we got there. So now we said, okay, we have a, a risk-based approach to collecting information that's as concise as possible that still gets the information that you need. Um, and that's how we built our questionnaire. Um, and that took a long time. And, but it's, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about where it came out in that we now have a data set that's easy to populate that solves the needs for some of the best <coughs> programs out there and then allows us to use that as a scalable way to go uh, and, and, and build that out across you know, a broader reach. Um, one thing that we learned through that process is collecting and housing the data is one thing. But what people are really looking for is a, a means to then act upon that. What do I do? And so what we did is two things. One is we structured our assessment to be purely structured content. So instead of a, um, a description of, um, uh, tell me about your incident response program, and as a long paragraph describing all that, it's very, it's, you know, incident response program has six different categories. Which of these do you do? Walk me through kind of level of coverage here, here, and here, this percentage, this percentage. And so it, what it is is a data set on the back end, which is very sortable, manipulable, et cetera, and allows us to actually map it against known breaches and kill chains for those breaches to say, okay, if I look in your industry, the most common type of attack is like this, and it goes after these top controls, so I can help prioritize what makes sense or what controls are most relevant. And so what you've done is you've now moved a job that was a morass of you know, countless different Excel files and stuff being sent around to a you know, centralized data set that can be sorted, manipulated appropriately, and prioritized so people can take action upon it. So, you know, I know you don't yeah. want to hear the whole thing about the product. No, no, that, that's great. That, I think that sets expectation for what we're talking about. Um, I think from my conversations with you guys previously, there's a couple different levels, right? So what you just described is somewhat of a direct replacement for the security questionnaire that comes in and fill out. That's right. Um, I call it a self self-attestation around these questions, but don't you guys have another level that's kind of a validated we do. review as we well? We do, and it's, it's, it's exactly right. So recognizing that people have different tiers of um, exposure, right? It's, you know, as you think about uh, for Bing, there, there are certain suppliers you say, okay, these guys, critical access, critical information, we allow them on site, we give them credentials, whatever it happens to be, that's our tier one group, all the way down to a tier three, which is where, you know, it, it's a someone who, you know, may have some level of risk, but I've deprioritized it. They may have limited access, whatever it happens. And so we've structured our assessment that, so you're right, we have a, for that lowest tier, it's a self-attestation, a very easily, it's kind of slightly abridged version of the assessment, um, but very easy to accomplish, very you know, cost-effective. And then you go up to our tier one, where we actually send people on site to validate the controls, to confirm that when they say they have this phishing and policy in place, that it actually is there. That we'll look at a screenshot of a firewall configuration, whatever it happens. Yeah. And so that that will be our full um, uh, the, the full detail there. So that gives you the confidence to know that this data has been validated and vetted, uh, and is and it is high degree of accuracy there for you know the risks that are the highest for you. And the the business model like for for the enterprises who want to have who want to review their vendors, they're paying you guys. Um, a, a prorated amount of money for the assessment, so they're not paying for a full assessment. Because uh, help me understand the, the, yeah. how that works for them. Well, so we, I mean, our our model makes sense when we sell an assessment multiple times. Yeah. And so our job is to kind of get the right companies into the database and then drive multiple orders on that. The if we 
know, do a single assessment of a company and it's only purchased by one you know, customer, yeah. we lose money. Okay, yeah. we, don't, we don't cover the that cost of our process. But if we sell it 50 times, it, it works well for us. Yeah. You know, and we expect, you know, when I go to a, a company, we expect the average across our course. Some of them will be, you know, like ADP or Salesforce that we believe will sell quite a few of, and then others will be some bespoke law firm that they use that we may be the only one, uh, they may be the only one ordering on that. And so across the portfolio, we will make money. Some will lose money on, and some. Will so lose is the money. cost the same? Correct. You, you don't you don't say we're going to you're going to pay less for Salesforce and more for the bespoke law firm. Yeah, it's it's it costs okay. the same for our for, for the tier regardless of the company, gotcha. and so it allows the practitioner to then say you know I'm spending money based on risk. Yeah. So the it, it sounds to me like there's really a network effect for both sides that that's really important here. In order for you to go get new enterprises. You, you really have to be have the vendors who are willing to either have already been through the assessment. So not only are you saving them money, you're also saving them time, right? You already have the assessment you can hand them today. That's a huge value add. Um, and then on the other side, for the vendors, you know, if you come walk up to you know that bespoke law firm, they're like, well, why would I let you guys do that? Right. Um, until I until I have you know oh now you know I had six sixty different customers who were going to ask to do assessments and I can just do one and it goes away. That's right. So how do you that to me seems like the big hill for you to climb? How do you get around that network effect and how do you build the? the no, it's a um, it's it's a self reinforcing uh, thing, right? Yeah. So the more companies we have, the more attractive it is to uh, the customers. The more customers we have, the more attractive it is to the vendors. So right. it's a, it, it drives that way. The way we built it out is we started with our design partners. Um, and these are large organizations who then, you know, started with our initial orders and they were able to reach out and they're uh, influential big enough companies that people said, great, I'll do that. And what we found though, is a lot of the companies who will do an assessment for them will then say, Hey, I'd like to share this assessment with other people proactively. They'll reach out. Those companies will say yes. And those companies now say, Oh, that's interesting. Can I use this for other? And so it, yeah. it kind of perpetuates in that way. Yeah. Um, but um, no, it, it's you know we're in the process of seeding that now. So we really just came to market in kind of April of this year, so it's still yeah six uh, months in. You're yeah, still pretty early. And um, but you know we're building it up, and and, and it's um, it's pretty exciting. What we found pretty interesting is you know we did expect a bit of resistance as you were talking about for particularly companies coming onto the platform. Um, and and part of the way we tried to address that, learning from our early research, was one it costs nothing. So to be a company coming onto the platform, you come on, you're assessed by CyberGRX. It's the cost of your time to go through that process. But, but the, what you get on that is the ability to share that proactively with any of your customers, as well as you can consume that assessment. So you have an independent uh, risk assessment that's mm -hmm. available to you and updated based on our scoring methodology as you update your program, which you can do at your discretion. Yeah. And so you have uh, tools. We have several people who are using it to report to their board. Um, they're saying, okay, this is a this CyberGRX assessment is showing you what my program looks like over time. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and we, uh, we did, you know, they get the learnings of, of a startup and that, you know, the first time we were sending out an email saying, welcome to CyberDirect, this is going to be great. And we were getting kind of a 10% response rate. So like, okay, that's a problem. We found, you know, then when we reach out to these uh, new vendors coming onto the platform and spend sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes more on the phone, um, we're now, we just, just did a measure today, we're at just between three and 4% turn us down. So, you know, the vast majority say, I get it, I want to do it. And that ranges from people like Salesforce and Iron Mountain all the way down to the small law firms we talked about. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, I'd like to maybe shift a little bit from talking about the solution to talking a little bit about the sausage making of building a company. Sure. You know, how do you go from the idea to 
like, you know, you guys are now making lists of fastest growing companies and you guys are a gazelle and Denver Startup Week this week. So how, what did that process look like from the idea to, to where you are right now? That's yeah, complete mayhem, but it's, um, it's, it's fun. It's, it, what's, what's neat about starting a company and, and, and finding the right people early on is um, you're doing it, you know, you, you by, by definition have quit a well-paying job and all these other, and so you're doing it because you, you're excited about it, you have that passion. And that's what's really and fun. You're going to make a ton of mistakes, and you make these crazy assumptions and such. But what's neat is you're sitting there, you know. And, and we were in the kitchen of one of my uh, the early employees' house for you know weeks on end because we didn't have any place to go, and uh, just powering through. And sometimes all literally all through the night without even realizing it. And yeah. so um, it's fun. The other thing you have to recognize, and I think we did a uh, we were we're lucky in our involvement with our design partners is. So many people will start companies with, I have this really cool idea, I'm going to build it all out, and now let me go bring it to the market, and they don't, they maybe don't want that, they don't see it. What we're able to do is we identified a real problem, like Jay had this real issue with uh, with Blackstone. I knew it firsthand from my time at Bridgewater, like we, oh my God, it was a mess trying to do third-party risk there. And so we knew there was a, a market demand, and that was really helpful to know that you're tapping into something that can really um, yeah. influence others. To your question, I mean, it really, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of oversaid. It, it's all about the people you bring together and it's, it's kind of, can you work together? Are you excited about this? Um, uh, and do you have that passion to pull it together? Because you're going you're gonna to be hit left and right on a variety of things. Um, and you can celebrate successes together, but then also kind of hunker down together. And then, and then recognizing when you don't have what you need and what, you know, when you need to bring in more or when you might have missed something. And that's you know, oftentimes harder than it looks. Uh, you, you didn't start in Denver, right? That's correct. Where did you start? We started in Westport, Connecticut, because that's where I was living at the time. Yeah. So that's the original headquarters. Was it, we say we, was it just you, or was there other employees? So I, I was the first employee, and yeah. then uh, you know, a, a few weeks later, we added a few others. In, but in Connecticut? So it, we were fully distributed, and we okay. started in Connecticut. Okay. So I was in Connecticut. So was your basement the headquarters, or was there an no, office it, there? It, it, was, it was the office and <laughs> then the third floor of our house. Okay, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, that was... Um, but uh, no, so at the time, you know, we had about five people originally, and it was myself in, in Connecticut, uh, someone in Phoenix, someone in D.C., uh, someone in Kansas City, and someone in Florida. Okay. Um, you got the, co- you got the, the continental yeah. U.S. So coverage. We, 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 yeah, yeah. we had a good, good coverage in that sense. Um, and, uh, but we knew, you know, I knew from trying to recruit people to Bridgewater, uh, particularly in the cybersecurity space, you know, people didn't want to be there. Uh, no. It's too far out of New York, et cetera. So we weren't going to start this there. And so we looked around, and one of my um, uh, the earliest uh, uh, co-founders was, um, you know, he'd worked at Booz Allen before, and they'd done an analysis on where pockets of cybersecurity talent would be growing over the next decade. Yeah. Um, and it was a few years dated, but it still was pretty relevant. And, you know, obviously it was the coast. It was, um, you know, Boston, New York, D.C., a um, little bit here in Nashville, I think, in uh, Raleigh, Durham, et cetera. And then obviously California, Little Pocket and, and Portland and Salt Lake City. And then two big other options were San Antonio, uh, Austin, and then yeah. Denver, Boulder. Yeah. And those two stood out. And you overlay kind of cost of living and quality of life. And we kind of took the coasts off. I spent yeah. my whole life on the East Coast. So. Um, and so we looked at Austin. I went down there and toured around and, and met some people there. And then we came out to Denver and it was a no-brainer. Yeah. So. So it's kind of a running joke on the podcast. It's every list of cities has Denver and Austin right next to each other. We yeah. are we are the well, twins. I'm apparently. glad I just didn't disappoint. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> well, well done for that. 
Uh, so when did you guys move to Denver? When did you move to Denver? Uh, August of last year. Okay, so just a little over a year ago. Just over a year ago. And you spent six months, maybe that's even eight months, in, in kind of stealth mode, yeah. developing a platform? More or less, yeah. Yeah. And really laying out. The biggest thing was actually just um, starting with our questionnaire. What are we going to ask and how are we going to interpret that information? Yeah. You know, when you're working through with you know six different strong-willed organizations and then getting them, you know, trying try to bring... You know, you probably know that as well. Trying to bring five or six CISOs in a room and trying to get them all to agree on a way to assess a company was, was took a lot of work. They, they all they all have the unique and usually pretty good reasons for the unique way that they do things, right? Right. And it's, that's a challenge for sure. Um, so you guys you guys got some, I think I've seen it, some pretty big news about funding you guys have received. Is there anything you can share around who's who's backing you guys and really what, what that's for? Yeah, sure. No, that's, that's, that's public. Um, so we, you know, the original, so obviously with Jay, Blackstone was our seed, uh, yeah. like our, our, our first money. Uh, and we raised a Series A kind of the beginning of 2016. And, um, 2016 or 2017? In 2016. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so we raised, and that was, you know, Blackstone. We brought in some of the um, dedicated cybersecurity uh, investment firms like 1011 Ventures mm-hmm. and, um, and Allegis Capital. Uh, and then we had um, all of our, the majority of our design partners invested. So like Mass Mutual Ventures, Aetna Ventures, Bloomberg Ventures. Yeah. Um, we also had Google Ventures invest in, um, and, a, and a few others. And then a couple you know, you know, smaller investors like Mike McConnell, the former head of the NSA, or uh, Art Coviello from RSA, et cetera, kind of put personal capital. Yeah. Um, and so that was, you know, we had a pretty broad feel because we wanted to, you know, get ideas and get and, and interest and get, out and get some people who are fans, yeah. right? And so uh, <laughs> I know it's it's good. They've been great partners, yeah. and it's been it's been fun because you get just a wealth of ideas, and they've been it's a, a really um, helpful board to have um, yeah. helping us. Then we uh, we raised additional capital in uh, in April of this year, and mm-hmm. uh, and that was led by Bassmore Ventures, mm-hmm. and, then, and then actually every single one of our previous investors uh, kind of trued up. To can, you, can you say how much you've raised or how much this... We've raised a total of 29. 29, okay. 29 million and, and you guys, how many employees are you at right now? Uh, we're about 55. 55 employees. So you're, you're growing quickly from a from a employee headcount perspective. Oh, how, sure. How's the top line? How's re- revenue going? It's good. It's good. I mean, it's, you know, uh, this year, you know, we're, we're, we're holding back on telling you the exact numbers, but it's, it. you know, it's growing exponential. Yeah. Well, good for you. Um, so for those people, w- one of the reasons I, I really love to talk to the founders of local companies, number one, I think we all want to hear your story and, and know the unique things going on, you know, the, the security automation orchestration play that no one knew is in Denver. It's, it's a fun story and, right. and hearing that this, this really, it's a big, we have a big vision, right? A, a single platform where we can get, uh, we can get the security posture for every, every vendor worth knowing, right? Mm-hmm. That's a place you can go get it at your fingertips on demand for a reasonable cost. That's, I love, the, I love the, the vision of what you're doing. But one of the reasons I like to get you on here, in addition to, to hearing what you're doing, is also for folks who you may want to hire in the area. Um, so what kind of positions might you be looking to hire in Denver and, and what kind of folks would you like to apply for those? Oh, sure. Um, we are, you know, it's, it's really right now about just constantly delivering more of the features on our platform. Uh, so we're looking for engineers, front end, back end, primarily front end actually, and um, as well as um, uh, product managers, product owners yeah. come into that area. Uh, we're also building up a sales team too. It's, uh, and so on that front, you know, our the the core of this has really been a lot focused on the you know the product development. We have a very uh, large analytics team that's built a lot of our backend models. These are the 
you know, math PhDs and NSA guys who are kind of getting out to see the light for the first time in a while. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been neat to see what they've developed. And we've got an assessment team pretty well built, but now we're really scaling up our engineering team. So that's, those are the areas of focus right now. And we're, we've hired, I think, five engineers in the last um, two months. And yeah. so we look to probably hire another five to ten by the end of the year. That's great. What, skill, what particular uh, languages or skill sets or experience are you looking for for engineering? Uh, so Justin, our uh, VP engineering, will yell at me for not knowing all these to yeah. put out there. No worries. But it's, um, yeah, so that now you're stretching. If you think about my background, <laughs> I'm not a coder and I, and I don't even want to dare put something out there that's wrong. So what's the ideal customer profile look like for you? Is it, I mean, obviously everyone wants to sell into large enterprises, but is it, is it just large enterprises? Do you see a play in other places? Yeah, as no, well? it's actually, it's not necessarily large enterprises. The reason is the, um, what we're, it, I'd say it more kind of the, the lower end of large enterprise. And it depends on how people define, you know, where those are. The, the thing for us is someone who has, um, you know, never built a third party risk program um, our platform is actually great for them to start that out. That being said, they typically haven't prioritized and it's a it's an uphill you know sell for them to just you know dive full into this. Mm-hmm. And then the other end of the spectrum, the people who built a whole program around this already, and they have a hundred people who are touring the country doing assessments, et cetera. It's an infrastructure that's already in place, yeah. and we're asking them to kind of rip it out. Um, it's harder, you know. Yeah. So you know, J.P. Morgan right now is. They're spending tens of millions of dollars on third-party cyber risk alone, and they're they have a huge team in place that you know we're not even talking to them. But in between, you know, these are you know Fortune 500 type companies who you know have one or two people and are saying, okay, I just did 50 assessments last year. I need to do 400 next year yeah. to try and keep pace. Um, literally, they don't know how to do it, and we we fit that perfectly. I can think of a lot of companies in town, many companies in town. Uh, and you all know who I'm talking to, who, who use a spreadsheet to, to track, you know, the, the top vendors for them. And let's say they, they, they have 200 vendors that they're tracking and 30 of them make the, the category of being worth evaluating. And they send a, a spreadsheet out to those 30 people and then they manually themselves or maybe they have an analyst review right. that spreadsheet when it comes back in. Um, and maybe they do three or four on-site visits because that's a really high-risk one. Right. That kind of a, a vendor a customer is that is that big it's enough? You think that that scale that works oh, for your scale? No, this I mean our solution to me is that that's yeah. the exact um, exact need right there. Is because you're basically saying okay, we'll, we'll help you when we have. I haven't gone into the details, but in the front end, we have a, a tool to help you basically determine the inherent risk of your portfolio of those 40, which are the ones that you really want to pay the most attention to. And that would map to our tier one, two, yeah. and three offerings. And you can you know, select how you choose, but it's a way to help think through that. Um, and then once you do the, um, the, once the assessment comes in, uh, based on how you uh, use that vendor, we'll have a couple questions in front. The data is tailored to the use case that's relevant for you. It gives you actionable information. And then you can use the platform to actually connect back and request yeah. remediation or monitoring and such on those fronts. What's also pretty cool is for, for a company like that is you know, I'll give you uh, something for us, right? So we're a small you know, startup here and uh, we use AWS. And so you know, they're a critical supplier for us. Yeah. And so we reached out to them you know, for fun actually and said, hey, we need you, you need to fill out a cyber. And they said, that's cute. Um, but as we talked to them and they understood the, the power of the platform, they've now come onto the platform. One of the big reasons is they're saying, you know, we, we're proud of our security. We want to share that with everyone. But, you know, we don't have the time to respond to the 100,000 companies yeah. that are on the platform. But with CyberGRX, for us to authorize access, is just a click of a button. 
So you guys coming on, now we, now we have a robust secure or third-party uh, risk management platform <clears throat> with data on Salesforce and AWS right. and others because they were brought on by Aetna or others. Mm. So you can a, that's a compelling case, yeah. Um, so I, I think I think that's that's a great story, and I, and I think hopefully we left enough info out there for folks who who are looking at revamping a third party risk program this year to, to maybe give you guys a call. And I want to change topics on you now and just talk about you know you've been here for a little over a year in Denver. What's it? What's your experience been like getting into the community? Um, you know I want to hear the good and the bad of it. Just talk to me so far about what Denver's been like from a from a business leader and a security business leader perspective. Yeah, I got to tell you, it's um. It's been great. Um, what's What's neat about it is it's it's that kind of like kind of Goldilocks size of it's big enough that there's a real security community and it's small enough that people are they know each other and they're trying to help. Um, and so I found you know within a few months you know I'm reaching out and I'm having breakfast or lunch with you know CEOs like Scott or Brian and. and um, Red Canary. Uh, Red Canary or Andre or other. And so, you know, I just had lunch last week with Andy from uh, Logger. And it's a, sure, let's, let's talk to each other. Let's help. Let's share the problem. And it's a, let's figure out how to help build the community. You know, we recognize there's that we all benefit from working together. And it's, it's really been helpful in just bouncing some ideas off of them as well as talking about what we can do to, to support the community at large. How do we get more, you know, people focused in building, you know, uh, cybersecurity majors in school or building programs yeah. like um, SecureSet, which has been a, a boon for us because the, the people coming out of there are kind of very well trained to what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, as well as, um, you know, uh, and, and trying to also bring in additional uh, investment to try and drive more, hmm. you know, security companies around here. So it's 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 been really exciting to do that. And I, and I feel that sense of collaboration and uh and maybe it's because no one is in our space, but it's uh, it's it's been uh, it's it's been uh, it's been fun on that front. And um, you know, it's this you get the East Coaster in me. Um, when we are looking to move out here, we made the decision to move to Colorado. Um, we were connected to a, a friend of my parents' son. You know, so random person we never met before, um, and we were talking to him about houses we were looking at on Zillow to determine where to go. And um, he's like, "Oh, well, just tell me where you're going. I'll drive by and take a look at it." And, you know, the New Yorker, me, I was like, all right, what's this guy up to? What's going on? Like, this is crap. No way. What's this game he's yeah, going there's, yeah. there's something up here. But it was generally like, oh, sure, yeah, I want to do it. And I ended up leaving my car at his house for a month because, you know, we, you know, we were shipping stuff out there. But that, that same ethos carries over in the security yeah. community in spades. It's like, how can I help? What can yeah. I do for you? And I got to tell you, coming you know, from the East Coast, it's a wonderful feeling. That's awesome. I enjoy it. Well, that's great. Uh, you know, we're... we're Doing good here on time. We have 40 minutes in. Any final stuff you want to talk about? Uh, you want to send out to the community or any any words of wisdom you want to leave us with? No, I'm not sure I got much, much wisdom, but it's... Uh, no, look, uh, we're, we're excited to be here. We're looking yeah. to really build uh, the community here. We came to Colorado for, for a reason. We think the, the talent is here. We think it's a great place to build a company. And we have large growth aspirations. So, yeah. you know, if uh, there are people interested in, in security, in particular in building out a product, we think it's going to be... You know, pretty revolutionary. Would love to talk to you, and uh, obviously for for companies listening as well, would love to talk to you as well. Awesome. Well, appreciate it. Hopefully, we can maybe check in with you next year and hear about the next iteration of success for you guys, and uh, and keep on top of what you guys keep doing. Does that sound good? That sounds great. All right. Thanks a lot, Fred. Appreciate right. your time. Thanks, Rob. Learn more.
about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.